Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter, follow L-E-T Radio Show P-O-1. On Instagram, follow L-E-T Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Calling us from Massachusetts, we have a retired Massachusetts state trooper, Michael Catone, on the phone. Michael, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, John. Grateful to be here. You retired the rank of is it a senior trooper? That's correct. Uh, March of 2020. Well, thanks for your service. Uh, I, Thank you. I've, you know, there's a big, big difference between Maryland State Troopers, which I'm used to, being a retired Baltimore police, yep. Florida State Troopers, Massachusetts State Troopers. They all have different functions, a lot of the same overlapping rules. But one of the things I had to condition myself is I have to get rid of my preconceived ideas about what they do. Part of me, like a lot of people think, all state troopers do is highway traffic patrol. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a common uh, misnomer, and it varies from state to state, so um, I can only speak for Mass, and Mass we're a full service agency where the state police barracks are uh, sprinkled throughout the Commonwealth. We call them troops, uh, the geographical locations, and they'll interact in the city with the local police. And again, you know, we have a primary responsibility of the highway, but then we have all the other secondary units, um, you know, narcotics and air wing, a dive team, a tactical unit, investigators. So our jurisdiction is the whole state, so it runs right. the whole gambit for us. And the reason I bring that up is we'll be talking a lot about gangs and criminal gangs and, and Michael's experience with that in, in a few moments. But first, since retiring, you you stay involved with law enforcement on a national level with a program called C3. What is that? Yeah, it's a, a program I started back in uh, 2009, back in the north end of Springfield. Uh, it was a really high crime area, drugs and gangs. This one section of the city of Springfield was on fire with uh, shootings and local posses and drug dealing. And myself, uh, a patrol officer, a trooper on the road, and a deputy chief who now who's retired, who retired as chief, we realized, like, hey, the business as usual of uh, trying to combat or address the gang problem wasn't working. And I approached uh, then Deputy Chief Barberry with an innovative strategy that I basically took best practices from my time in the Army Special Forces of our planning techniques and outreach, being a force multiplier, and u- utilizing that within the community and building genuine partnership with the community to you know, to chase out these gang members and drug dealers within, um, within these communities. And we were very successful in the North End. Reduced crime by double digits. Uh, Deputy Chief Barberry gets promoted to Chief Barberry. 
I think it was around 2015 at that point. And then he exported the program that we started in the North End, and he exported it to three other areas, hotspots within the city of Springfield. And they had great success, and they're, they're still up and running. They got four C3 teams running in the city of Springfield. Where can people have more information about C3? Yeah, so C3 basically, um, it, it's, not, it's not a panacea, John. It's not meant to replace policing. It's meant to give chiefs, commanders, another tool in the toolbox, and for officers, to empower officers. So basically, uh, officers would be hand-selected patrol officers, given some additional training, a couple of weeks, and they become a force multiplier. They go into these hard-hit areas of a community or city, and we chew off on a, on a small piece, you know, maybe five to ten streets. And it's, it's weekly meetings with the community members. And unlike the traditional community policing meetings, which sometimes devolve into sessions, this is more of like a strategy. Hey, we have five essential tasks that we're trying to uh, affect in this hard-hit area. And we establish these five essential tasks. We have these eight building blocks that we build with the community. Everything from moving gang graffiti, gang demobilization, community outreach, street leader program, and community members within these communities help build this, and we do it with them. So, our you know the mission statement that runs through the thread of C three policing is by, with, and through the community. And your so website is Trinity project c3.com uh trinityprojectc3.com go there get more information about the c3 program and we'll return to that conversation in a bit during your career you mentioned a, a, a crucial point that you're also army special forces and i thank you for your service there as well I, i'm very lucky i was trained by mostly combat veterans as a rookie police and a lot of our police throughout the united states a lot of our law enforcement corrections police, sheriff's departments, federal, they're military veterans, and they're highly valued members of our departments and our cities. Sure, absolutely. Listen, uh, and there's, uh, I, I think both of value, law enforcement and the military, all first responders, school teachers, nurses, they, everyone plays a key role yeah. um, in, in this fight. And the reason I, I don't I bring think that up one is, is better than the other, but we have different talents, right? We have right. different talents and different experiences. One of the reasons I bring that up, there's a politician, I'm gonna give his name recently, who said in his city, he didn't want military veterans, especially combat veterans as police because they were too militarized. And yeah. I get so aggravated and so angry. It's yeah. it's as if military yeah. people don't have rules of engagement and they don't know how to follow rules is the implication he makes. And that's the furthest thing from right. the truth. You know, absolutely, uh, John. So he's basically using a soundbite for his political base, right? So uh, the, the the beauty with a lot of military men and women that come from the military is their discipline, their work ethic, and their sense of service, wanting to give back to the community. And what I'm grateful for from my military experience that I received from Army SF was our planning skill set. I mean, we plan like no one's business when it comes to planning on the strategic, operational, tactical level, and then our outreach capabilities. So with 12 men on an ODA, uh, Green Beret team, 12 men, and we get plopped in some hostile environment, 12 guys usually aren't going to win a, a fight against a larger group, right? And the way we survive is learning the culture, learning the language, learning the history, and uh, immersing ourselves in that environment and winning over the local population, right? 
And so I took those strategies and concepts that Army SF taught me, and I said to myself, hey, this would nest nicely, and it would uh, be very uh, beneficial for law enforcement. Why don't we use some of these approaches? And that's basically what we did in the North End, utilizing those approaches of outreach. So I I call it non-law enforcement engagement. So think of back in the day, uh, when you were on the road, when I was on the road, a lot of times we get all these calls for service. We're responding for a call, health and welfare, motor vehicle stop, a, a shooting, a drug overdose. It's always a law enforcement function, whether either providing service or investigation or it turns into some you know, uh, criminal arrest. How much focus, John, do we spend on training future officers to engage the public, not in a law enforcement engagement, not because we're trying to investigate a crime, not because we're you know there to render service, which is important, but hey, I want to engage you because I want to get to know you. And I'll take a short break. We are talking with Michael Gatone, retired Massachusetts State Trooper. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Michael Catone, retired Massachusetts State Trooper. Before we went to break, we we talked about your program, C3, uh, Community yep. Policing Continuum, and there's a lot of things. We'll return to that conversation later on. But first, the American public really doesn't get a good example of or a good idea of what really happens with policing. We talked earlier in the conversation, Michael, in Maryland, we had full-service state police barracks where they did road patrol in addition to traffic. Then we had other ones where they did traffic. Uh, So you worked in areas where you did full service, and part of your career gravitated towards gang enforcement, correct? Yeah, well, they were in the city, and you're dealing with it. Um, so in the North End, we had what we call um, local posses. I know different law enforcement agencies will refer to gangs with different names. So for us, a local posse posse is usually a decentralized gang versus a, natu- uh, a national recognized gang like Latin Kings or Crips. And they, these local posses can be just as violent as the national gangs. So we had a lot of that in Springfield, especially in the North End. And what folks don't realize is... These young young men, these young kids who get sucked into the gang, are there for 
for a whole host of reasons, but the main reason is that they're coming from broken families. You know, a lot of times they don't know who dad is. Mom might have a substance abuse, trying to do her best to raise a couple of kids. And what happens is these kids are getting either bullied, picked on. There's no, no sense of family belonging. And the gang offers a sense of family, a sense of protection. So that poor kid that's being bullied or picked on, that has no sense of family, has a sense of belonging by joining this posse. And then once he's in this posse, now he's putting in work, what the gang will call work, where he's either selling drugs or doing other gang activity. Uh, became friends with one former gang member who reformed his life. This gentleman told me a story of how at the age of 12, right, he's shooting heroin into his mom's veins, right? Doesn't know that it was heroin. His mom is telling him, hey, mom's sick. You have to give her a medication. And this is what he was exposed to at the age of 12. At the age of 14, he's living out in the street, homeless. At that point, he's in the gang. And then later rises up through the level of a, of a shock caller in one of these local posses, ends up doing, I think, 10 years in a federal penitentiary reforms of his life. I met him later during the C3 program in the North End, and he would come to our weekly meetings. He saw what we were doing was drastically different. And he would watch me during the weekly meetings, would, would engage with me. And after several months, comes up to me and says, hey, Trooper, I don't like police officers, but you're doing something different. I want to help. And that's how he introduced himself to me. And he became one of our greatest advocates in the North End. And he asked me how we can help. And I told him, I go, listen, with your background and what you went through, these kids are going to listen to you more than they're going to listen to me. And uh, we plugged him into one of our eight building blocks, which was gang demobilization, where he would go out and outreach with these kids and talk them and offer services that we would have that we met with service providers during the week. So if a kid had a, a drug issue, an abuse issue, PTSD issue, or needed a bed or whatever, this one gentleman would find those resources, and that would be our outreach. So he single-handedly probably pulled anywhere from 20 to 25 kids out of these local posses. That was just one guy that we partnered up with, and he affected that many lives on those seven streets in the North End. Two things that, that come to mind right, of, right away is we don't hear the success stories very often. We don't hear right. Right. about people who leave gangs and change their lives. The second thing we don't hear about is how violent these gangs really are. And here's a great example. I always hear people say, well, as long as they're shooting each other, who cares? Yeah. Well, they number one, they don't stick to one area. Number two, they're not the best shots <laughs> in the world and they shoot innocent bystanders. So you should care. Yeah, yeah well, it, John, you have all that. Uh, with the uh, indiscriminate violence and the shootings, right, and the robberies, but I'll even paint a worse picture, right? So you have that going on. We had one prolific heroin dealer on the North End on just two streets in the North End, and these, the length of these streets were probably about 200 meters in length, and you had several hundred people in apartment complexes or uh, lower income. This guy was making about five to $6,000 a week on heroin sales. A week, just on those two streets. Heroin in Springfield and Chicopee is probably the cheapest place you can get heroin in the U.S., 3 to $4 a baggie. Think of how many baggies he was selling a week, poisoning families, members, moms, dads, children, enslaving them on this. 
it destroys a neighborhood. Oh, absolutely. That stuff will destroy a neighborhood. Some of the, and then the all most, the other secondary crimes that go with the addiction. Right. right? And, and some of the most industrious people I ever met in my police career were drug dealers. And I, I would tell yep. them, listen, you're here on a corner every day. You've got your yep. crew in a corner every day. Doesn't matter what the weather is. You're battling people who want to rip you off. You're battling other drug dealers. You're trying to duck the police. And you're trying to run an operation at least 10 hours a day. If you applied yourself to something legal, you'd be a multimillionaire. Right, right. Yeah, no, listen, uh, the, these folks are smart. They're hard workers. Uh, unfortunately, they, they've geared their life towards a, a set of evil, right? I met a, a padre. I was at a FBI gang conference years ago. I forget the, the priest's name. He's out in California. There's a lot of work with gangs and the homeless, and he was at this conference also. Him and I are speaking, and he was telling me, very similar to what you were saying about the gang members and drug dealers, and he approached this one drug dealer in this one area in California and asked him, hey, how are you so successful winning over these kids? And the response of the drug dealer, I'll never forget what the Padre told me. It's, it stuck with me. He goes, oh, it's simple, Father. He goes, I just listen to them. I spend time with them. The parents don't, and the teachers don't. Think about that. Yeah, right. and, and literally a young guy could have 30, 40 bucks and be filthy rich uh, compared to what the rest of his right. neighborhood was. So right. yeah, I, my, I had a big change of thought after a while policing in really heavily drug-infested neighborhoods in Baltimore. And we used to call it the game. As, and you hear it in shows like The Wire, The Corner, all those. Yeah. Everybody knows the rules of the game. The drug dealers know the rules. The cops yeah. know the rules. And the junkies know the rules. Now, I'm not using those terms in a derogatory manner. It's just how we refer to each other. And yeah. as long as you didn't violate the rules, you, sometimes you got arrested, sometimes you got away. But there were certain rules you didn't do. And then somewhere along the way, uh, maybe it was when crack came in, I'm not sure, but the rules changed. Sure, yeah. Yeah, well, listen, I, I think at the end of the day, the rules always change with them, John, right? It's uh, it's always going to be the next fix, uh, how much money, power, territory, influence, and that's that's their driving um, philosophy for them. Uh, there's no way around it. When I encountered it in the North End and how prevalent it was where they had, uh, you know, drive-by shootings, bad guys chasing each other in vehicles, one guy gets wounded, tries to drive himself to Mercy Hospital, crashes about a couple of hundred meters from the entrance to the hospital. The other bad guys finish him off. That was the level of violence. When I first went into one of the convenience stores and I started doing a dismounted patrol as a trooper, which very unusual, you're not going to see that in the inner city. You know, folks looking at me like I'm crazy. And I had one gentleman finally open up to me, a, a shop owner at the epicenter of this crime. And as I had a conversation with this gentleman, uh, he's in his forties, single dad, you know, trying to raise his two sons, working crazy hours at this convenience gas station store. And he's telling me the level of violence that's coming into the convenience store of the local posse members, taking items, basically robbing the place. And if, if the cashier or the manager tried to stop them, they would just pull out a weapon and point it at the, the cashier or the manager. We're going to take a short and break. He, On that note, this is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation. Call the Debt Helpline now. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. 
Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. We're current conversation with Michael Gatone. Michael's retired Massachusetts senior state trooper. Also former veteran of the United States Army, is it correct? Correct, sir. And before we end the break, Mike, you're talking about uh, dismounted patrol. And for lack of better words, people use different terms. In our area, we didn't have a lot of calls, which is very rare. You get out of your car, you do foot patrol. We'd walk in the businesses, you talk. Remember the images of the old police spinning their nightstick? That was us. That's what we did. And that's how people got to know you. So before we went to break, you went in the store, you're having a conversation with a shopkeeper about how they're always ripping them off, and if he confronts the thieves, they just pull out a weapon. Yep. So as he's telling me this, this was a new convenience store that just opened up, right, and uh, had a gas station and uh, different shops in it. Uh, and I was dumbfounded by this. And he's like, hey, I can get you the video footage if you want it. And I'm like, absolutely. And as I'm talking to him, I'm like, and again, this took me multiple visits to get him to open up to me. I'm like, why aren't you calling Springfield PD or the state police? And our barracks was literally probably maybe five minute drive time to his location. And his response really set this all in motion with the, the C3 for me. He looked at me and he goes, why trooper? He goes, what are you gonna do? It's always been this way. And that struck me, he wasn't anti-cop or anything. It was just like, hey, this is our normal. It's always been this way. You're not gonna do anything to change it. And that's when it struck me like, you know, I've been down there a number of years, made numerous arrests and investigations, and I realized just arresting folks, bad guys, and bad guys that need to get arrested, need to get arrested, but that's not gonna fix the problem. You can do that for an entire career. You know, we have to, in law enforcement, I believe, we gotta start looking at these root causes. So he told me about a weekly meeting that was going on. I go to this weekly meeting where this first time I meet the deputy chief, the state rep and a local service provider, and they're at a 10 story apartment complex trying to meet with citizens. And they have like maybe two or three elderly Hispanic people in a community room. And that's it, out of an apartment complex that probably has 800 people in it. And that's when I knew, like, hey, we're not reaching this community at all, right? We're not. We have to do a, We have to go about this differently. And that's when I approached the deputy chief told him my background in Army and SF, and I'm like, hey, I think I got an action plan for you that we can that we can work. And that's how it started. That's basically how we started this. We started building the weekly meetings, and that those meetings grew, Jay, from maybe four to five people to we would have 30 or 40 people in a room. Um, and then people would be coming out of the woodwork, wanted to participate because they saw the difference in that community. And then it spread to uh, three other areas of the city. Well, people need to get involved. And I couldn't help but think of my own career and conversations I would have with people on the post I worked. And somewhere along the way, things changed. I don't know if it's every department or everywhere across the United States, but it seems to be pretty mass, uh, all wholesale changes. And, and part of it was where I policed, you were given a, a post eventually. Uh, and on that post, you had total responsibility for the crime on that post. Yeah. You had to be accountable for that. And my sergeant at the time said, when I was a rookie, he said, if I pull up and I point to someone and you don't know who they are, you don't know where they live, 
you, you have not done your job. If you don't know if they're a good right. guy, a bad guy, you're not policing. Uh, and if people don't know your name and they haven't given you a nickname, you're not policing and you're not part of the community. Uh, and sure. somewhere changed. I, I know part of it's manpower, it's funding issues. You started doing more with less police. I, yeah, I think it's all that, uh, John. Plus, you know, if you look at these really built up urban areas, whether it's a, a Springfield or Chicago, Baltimore, you name the city, you know, that patrol officer gets in his cruiser, whether he's by himself or her, or maybe a two man car, they open up that laptop and they're going from call to call to call, right? And that's your eight hour shift. Yeah. And you're just getting done with one call and the sergeant's on the radio saying, hey, I need you at so-and-so street. You need to wrap this up. And a lot of times these officers don't have the time to build that rapport with the people because they're just, hey, secure the environment, provide aid, make the arrest, go to the next call. That's your eight hour shift. And then you rinse and repeat and do it the next day. And that goes on for 20 years. Oh, yeah. I remember you know, days so, where we had three, four calls stacked up as soon as we got the car. I yeah, mean, it, yeah. it's not I mean, like you haven't even started yet and you had to back up the calls. So it, it, it can be overwhelming, right? And doing that day in and day out, can, um, yeah, it takes a special person to maintain that patience and that level of commitment and service. This is where I think augmenting the patrol officers, just like you have a canine, a narcotics unit, a traffic bureau, right? Having a C3 unit within the department and what they do is they're not chasing 911 calls. They're freed up in that hot spot to do what you just said. Hey, get to know those community members. Buy with and through. Slowly win them over. Build a genuine partnership. And it, it, it's been done. We, we've done it in Springfield and, and Holyoke. But if that poor patrol officer is chasing calls for an eight-hour shift, it's hard to expect him or her to develop that relationship. All they can do is, is put like a Band-Aid on an arterial bleed. That's all they wind Absolutely. up doing. And here's, yep. here's yep. part of my problem. I think it's a wonderful idea that you're talking about. And I think it's tried, it's true, and it's obviously very successful. But I see in the news constantly, and so many guests I've had on the Law Enforcement Show, places like New York City, Los Angeles, Baltimore, yeah. Washington, they're defunding the police and they're taking- yeah, horrible. They're taking- the mounted, they're taking other auxiliary units, they're taking the officers yeah. out of there and putting them in patrol to handle calls because they don't have enough people. And by the way, the really qualified people, they're not opting for careers in law enforcement. They're going, I got options, I can go elsewhere. Right, you know, you know uh, at the end of the day, um, John, everything you're describing to me comes down to leadership. And nature abhors a vacuum, right? So what do I mean by that? In the absence of good leadership or good decision-making, guess what? That vacuum is going to be filled with crazy, right? Crazy ideas like defunding the police and all this other stuff. So chiefs, mayors, politicians, state reps have to realize good guidance has to be uh, injected in this problem situation. It's a complex problem, and I don't claim to have all the answers, but defunding is obviously not a wise solution because the, the people that suffer the most when you defund the police are the poorest community, the minority communities, the high crime areas. Those are the folks that are going to suffer the greatest when we start. And we've seen it now in Minneapolis and all these other places where Seattle, where they're doing that, right? Yeah. It's these hard hit areas get even hit harder. And the people who advocate for this the most usually have don't, money, it, usually live don't, in don't gated live, communities. Yeah, and, don't live in those communities. Exactly. Absolutely. They don't live in those communities. And they're they not affected. with any of this crime, right? And 
They're hypocrites. I wish, hypocrites. I, I wish that the American public could be on, I, and I really, this sounds horrible to say this, but I really wish the American public could be on scene when a 16-year-old kid who's been shot multiple times because he's in a drug game yeah. is taking his last yeah. breaths. And people, yeah. I know you've seen this, and people gather around almost like it's free Saturday entertainment. Yeah, yeah it's sad. It's a, it's a sad situation, these young people losing their lives. Um, they get caught in this cycle of, it's a lack of hope. At the end of the day, John, there's, there's no hope in a lot of these areas. And by, by pulling police forces out and defunding the police, that's not providing hope. That's just providing more despair. So, I, you know, one of the messages I would like to convey for any of the officers or any of the folks who are listening in your audience is your sergeants and lieutenants, those frontline supervisors, empower, empower your patrol officers. Your patrol officers will come up with some great innovation. Empower them, allow them uh, the innovation to do some of that good outreach with the community. I was very fortunate. I had a sergeant that allowed me that day to go a dismounted patrol, which the state police is normally not going to do in the inner city. And he knew my background. He allowed me to do that. And through that leadership decision, it allowed us to create C3 policing, which would have never been created. So leadership plays a, a crucial role going forward in law enforcement. It's not just the, the chiefs or the lieutenants or the sergeants, it's also going to be our civilian counterparts are going to have to play a role in this. Right. Going to have our to elected politicians we need to meet are a way. huge part of this. We are talking with Michael Catone. Michael is a retired Massachusetts State Trooper, also U.S. Army veteran, Special Forces, and he's heavily involved with an organization and a concept called C3 Policing. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Back to our conversation with Michael Catone on the Law Enforcement Today Show. A brief history. Michael is a retired Massachusetts State Trooper. Thanks for your service. Also, U.S. Army veteran. Uh, thank you for your service there as well. Uh, by the way, when you were in the military, what years did you serve? Served, at, enlisted in 1984. Uh, was on active duty for a number of years and went into the, the Guard. The 9-11 happened and then called back tax duty uh, numerous times overseas. And I recently retired from the Guard in uh, 2020, June of 2020. Thanks for all you did. And I've heard people say, and, and a lot of people will do this in an insulting way. And I'll give you an example. Uh, sure. they'll, they'll compare Chicago to Iraq and call it Chirac. Um, yeah. A lot of what our Army combat veterans any branch of the military that's out there in the community, you always said, you said earlier in the conversation, 12 guys are not going to take on 300. 
So they got to right. become part of the community where they're policing. Yeah. And yeah. for lack of better words, that's where a lot of our military action is overseas uh, until firefights start. So a lot of this carries over in both fields. Sure, it does. And John, I think where folks are confusing it to no fault of their own is when they think of the military, they automatically think towards um, uh, the combat and the shooting, right? Yeah. And and, and that's usually maybe 2 3% of what really goes on in theater. So a lot of what's going on is the planning and the engagement piece. So where the similarities, if I may boldly say, where they can happen in a high crime area in the city, you name the city, or, or overseas, gang members and drug dealers will act like insurgents. Now, what do I mean by that? Are they trying to overthrow the city? No. Well, how they are acting like insurgents is they paralyze the community by the passive support from the community. So they know the community in these hard, high crime areas are not going to call the cops, either for a whole host of reasons, cultural, out of fear, or animosity towards law enforcement. Bad guys know that, and they're smart, and they play off that, and they know, hey, I can operate in that area. We're a lot familiar... Uh, the Bloods, the Crips, or whoever you name the gang, is not going to operate a drug house in an affluent area where there's not drug crime, because as soon as they did, the local law enforcement would get, what, 57 phone calls, description of the vehicle, the plates, and who's coming in and out of the house, right? So they work in these, what I would call the failed neighborhoods, right? And these poor neighborhoods that became failed neighborhoods didn't happen overnight. It was years of poor planning, poor policy, maybe poor policing, a whole bunch of different reasons, right? But this can be undone. These steps can be undone. And that first step, right, is that engagement piece, selecting the right officer, giving some uh, additional training to these officers and tools, and then embedding them in these communities. And you can win over one family, one street, one block at a time, and it becomes like an ink block and it spreads out. That's basically what we used to do back in the day. And uh, one of the things that really irks me is there's an old saying that the greatest trick the devil ever played is convincing the world he didn't exist. And I said until politicians convince the world that police are a bigger threat than MS-13 or all the different gangs out there, 1% motorcycle gangs, you name it. I don't think American people really have a good concept. It's been, been so politicized about how dangerous and violent some of these gangs are. Yeah, no, it's, listen, uh, you know, I've talked to family members um, who had, would put their kids in bathtubs once the shooting started yeah. right, in these high, high crime areas. So think about living in that environment. Uh, I've, several of my troopers, that when we worked on the C3 team, they're getting phone calls from the citizens. We built a, such great rapport. They're calling directly to the trooper's personal cell, and he can hear the gunshots going off. And the troopers telling the uh, the mother, "Hey, get your kids in the bathtub, right?" I mean, this is the violence that these poor families are growing up in, right, and being exposed to. And then it becomes this apathy of that one gentleman, like, "Hey, trooper, what are you going to do? It's always been that way." And this is where I think law enforcement has to break the paradigm. It doesn't have to be that way, but at the same time, we need to give our officers better tools and training than just the tactical tool set of what's on my on my kit. You know, I get X number of hours with a taser, a weapon, a baton, mace, handcuff, and certification. Hey, how many hours are we giving that officer on leadership training and engagement with the public? Uh, you want, I can give you a guess. Minimal? 
Yeah, so we, we need so I think that's where we can do better on law enforcement. Not only just the engagement piece, uh, you know, it's not engagement for the sake of engagement, right? It's engagement to build structural and genuine partnerships, right? That's different, right? That's that's long term. And I've seen it when when the officers are trained to do it. You know, I had this one officer who was a sergeant, he's now a lieutenant on the Springfield PD. And when he first got exposed to C3 as a, as a sergeant, this guy already had 20 years as a patrol officer and thousands of arrests and, you know, foot pursuits, car pursuits, drug arrests, just a, a hardworking officer. So here's a guy with 20 years on, he's a sergeant, he gets exposed to C3 and the methodology of the approach. At the end of the training, he comes up to me, and this guy had more experience than me, and I would argue he's a better cop than I am, comes up to me and says, I've been doing, I've been doing policing wrong my whole career where like the light bulb went off and you realize, hey, there's a different way we can approach the problem set. And he's just doing phenomenal work, him and his unit right now uh, in Springfield. And all I did was expose him to the planning skill set and our engagement skill set that the Army Special Forces taught me, right? And I just utilizing those best practices and marrying them with law enforcement. All those things are great, and, and I'm not taking away from it. I, I'm a firm believer in, look, if it's broken, you gotta do something different to fix it. And a lot yeah, of what we're yeah. experiencing is broken and has been since the 70s, let's be honest. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you deal about violent gangs and drugs and all the violence that goes with that. So yeah. when we talk yeah. about C3 policing, obviously defunding police is not the solution. They need more funding, more training, uh, and they're gonna have specially trained people. All that costs money. So we've gotta convince the politicians that this, th- what's the old saying, the fish rots them to head down. In yeah. police departments, it starts with your mayor, unfortunately, and works your way down. And the last one's yeah. the fact that are street cops. They're the ones who are out there every day for 20 years. You know, the mayors, the state reps, that they, you know, they have to look at these citizens and realize they're the ones that suffer the most, right? And we can't play politics on this. I'm not going to mention the city's names. So I was just looking up some data before I came on the, the show, John. And back in May, in one large city in America, in the Memorial Day weekend, they had 85 people shot. Yeah. One weekend, 85 people shot, 25 people killed. I mean, those were the numbers that I saw when I was in Iraq, in the Northwest province, right? Uh, it, just horrific. And how either the politicians or, or the chiefs just maintain the status quo or just throw mo- more bodies at the issue, that's not going to fix this issue, no. right? You know, the, the, their, their thought process, their planning from the strategic, operational, tactical level is flawed. And I, I, I say that as a, as a humble Green Beret, it's flawed. And I just don't understand how these communities put up with this i feel bad for these community members that have to live in these high crime areas like that well unfortunately it's because power and money means uh, well money means power which means political movement and if you don't have money if you're in a poor community you have no political power and all you're going to get is window dressing from the politicians and that's and the sad truth is and the young street cops out there they're the ones who get brutalized and and, yeah. and scarred mentally and physically for the rest yeah. of their lives. But that yeah. could be a conversation you and I could have forever. Before we close, yeah. uh, where can people get more information about what you do? Yeah, John, anyone that's interested in, I, uh, hey, for any of the citizens, uh, politicians, chief sergeants, please uh, visit trinityprojectc3.com. Gives the background on our story, what the program is, how to contact us. 
listen, at the end of the day, uh, myself and another retired trooper and also uh, Green Beret, uh, we just want to give back. Uh, my whole life has been uh, in, in the service, uh, servicing our country and my community. Enlisted when I was 17. Now that I'm retired, I still want to give back. And I think the way I can give back in law enforcement is, is teaching other law enforcement agencies or any community member, whether it's a university, school, partnership, hey, how do we do this? How do we marry up best practices? How do we get the civilian sector and law enforcement to pull on the rope in the same direction, that unity of effort and, and better service to our public? Again, your website is Trinity Project C3. Com. Michael Catone, thanks so much for all you do. Thanks for your service, and thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Uh, John, thank you, and I, and I thank your audience members. Very grateful. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow we'll see you there i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today show another great guest in your way next week don't miss it until then this is john j wiley see ya